0: You're listening to the New Life Podcast. We're one church in multiple locations based out of Aberdeen, South Dakota. We hope this message helps the gospel come alive for you and gives you an opportunity to encounter Jesus in a whole new way. For more info on New Life, you can check out our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Let's get ready to listen to today's message. All right, open your Bibles. Mark chapter 8, we're going to continue through the journey of Jesus as he continues to show us what it looks like for the kingdom of God to break into our world, okay? The kingdom of God, we're looking at what it looks like when it hits our life, when it hits our family, when it breaks into our neighborhood and into our communities. In fact, we've seen a lot already, right? In fact, I want to read to you just really quick all the things that we've seen so far just in the gospel of Mark. The kingdom of God breaking in. It looks like this. Jesus is going to heal a man with an unclean spirit. The kingdom of God is going to break into a woman's life and she's going to be healed of a fever. Jesus is going to heal many sick and demonically oppressed people. Too many to count. Jesus is going to cleanse a leper. He's healed a paralytic. He's liberated sinners. He's confronted the religious. He heals a man with a withered hand. He gets out into into, into the middle of a storm in, in an ocean and he calms it. He heals the town crazy. He resurrects a little child from death. He heals a woman who has an issue with blood. He's going to take five loaves and two fish, and he's going to feed over 5,000 people with it. And what we're going to see today is he's going to do it again. But not only that, he's going to heal the sight of a blind man. And guess what? We've made it halfway through the Gospel of Mark. We're seeing the kingdom of God break into the lives of people, and it's changing things. What you need to realize is that when we read these stories, Jesus comes on the scene and things happen. People's lives are being transformed and they cannot be the way they used to be. When Jesus comes on the scene, things change. When you give yourself to Jesus, things change. Things happen in your life that weren't happening before. The trajectory that you were on, the path that you were on, no longer is the same. Why? Because the kingdom of God invaded that little old heart, and now Micah can't be the same anymore. It creates something inside of you that wasn't there before. How many of you have ever had a situation happen where you walk out of your house You know, maybe you're taking the kids to the playground or maybe you're taking them to some church event or you're going to drop them off at school. But maybe it's, okay, maybe not at school, but it's it's the mid-afternoon and you walk out You open your door to get in. You've got all the kids tucked away, but all of a sudden, your nose starts to tingle. All of a sudden, you smell something, and you realize that one of your neighbors is barbecuing. One of your neighbors has has some meat, a dead animal on their grill, and they're making something that's marvelous. And you stop for a moment, you shut the door, and what do you do? You take a deep breath, you're like, and you realize the grace of God is being poured out in my life at this very moment moment. And your curiosity is sparked. And it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what you ate beforehand. You could have just had a four or five course meal. It doesn't matter. In that moment, what you realize is that you're hungry once again. In that moment, you realize if I could just find the neighbor and knock on their door and introduce myself, then maybe I can taste some of that juicy pulled pork. Or maybe I could taste some of that juicy barbecue. It'd be really awkward. Don't actually do that, okay? But you're hungry again. There's something that smell pulls out of you. It stops you in the middle of everything that you're doing. And it it makes you realize, I'm hungry in this very moment. And what we see in the Gospel of Mark is that this is what Jesus does to us. We're in the middle of our busy life. We're in the middle of a life that's running this way and that way, and we're dropping kids off, and we're doing different things, and we're trying to prepare for Thanksgiving and now Christmas, and and life gets busy, but in the middle of it, you hear something, and you see something, and, and you experience something, and it makes you stop in your tracks, and you realize that this man Jesus isn't like everybody else. There's something about what he says. There's something about what he does. There's something about how he infuses dignity into people that when you see it and you experience it and you read about it in the text, you stop and you take a deep breath and you realize that there's more and you want it. It creates in you a heart that's hungry. It creates in you a heart that is hungry. And this morning we're gonna see several different stories of what it looks like for somebody to be hungry, For Jesus. Mark chapter 8, 1 through 3. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and they've ran out of food. They have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. The people are hungry. They've been following Jesus now for three days. They've run out of food, but they decide to stick it out. This large group of people, well over 4,000, they're following Jesus, and their their stomachs are getting hungry because all the food has been depleted, and now they're saying, okay, we need to go back to our house, but we want to stay with Jesus. We're going to forego our physical nourishment because, because I want Jesus. The things that this guy is saying, when I take that deep breath, it just brings peace to me. It makes me hungry. He's pulling something out of me, and I don't want to sacrifice that in this moment. So I'm going to choose to stay. They have hearts that are hungry. They're willing to forego the physical pleasure, the physical food, because what they're getting spiritually is more than enough. Jesus recognized this, and he does something about it again. He's going to do it again. Two chapters prior to this, Jesus is going to do it with 5,000 people, and here he is doing it again. And this is what his disciples answer. Jesus says, these people are hungry. I don't want them to go home because if they go home, they're going to faint. They might even die. His disciples answer him and they said, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? The disciples who were literally with Jesus when he fed the 5,000 now Jesus is with another large group. They have no bread. It's a little bit dangerous for them to leave. They're kind of in a tight spot, and the disciples say, look, we're in a desolate place. How are we going to get bread to these people? How are we going to take care of them? Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this show, but I've been watching some great clips about Family Feud, right, with the master of entertainment, Steve Harvey. You guys ever watch that show? Yeah. Amen. If you don't, you will after this, right? But, but it's a great show where they take 100 different people, and they survey them, and they take the best answers to one simple question that they ask. They put them on a board, and then two families have to try to guess which one is the best. They have to try to guess all of them on this list, and if they get it right, they win. They win that round. And so so Steve Harvey's there with with these two different families, and and the question is, name a word that comes after pork. It's a really simple kind of trivial question right? And they surveyed 100 people, and now this family's trying to guess, and the first one, the the, the person says, pork loin, right? Amen, hallelujah. The second person gets up, and it's pork belly, and then Steve Harvey goes to the third person. He says, give me a word that comes after pork, and the guy says, cupine, and Steve literally stops in that moment He doesn't even look at the guy who answered. He just stares straight at the camera. You can see his head kind of go down a little bit. He crosses his hands like this, and he just stares like, what did you just say? Cupine? And he looks over at the other family. He looks at the camera again, and he just stands there in silence. And everybody's laughing because everybody knows what this guy did was was dumb. He made a dumb answer. Right, And Steve just plays it up so well, but he just gives this dumbfounded face, and everybody's laughing because he doesn't know what to do next. He cannot believe what just came out of this guy's mouth. And I imagine Jesus in that moment when the disciples are like, how are we going to provide food for these people? They're hungry. They've been following Jesus day after day after day. I can imagine Steve Harvey just poking his head out behind Jesus with that dumbfounded face like, are you serious right now? Were you not with me just a week ago? Were you not with me two chapters ago when I fed 5,000 people? In fact, I I love what Jesus responds here. I I can't say this for sure, but I think he was a little bit perturbed, right? He hears this question from the apostles, and you know what Jesus says? (laughs) How many loaves we got? Before he was coordinating, right, when they were feeding the 5,000, he's like, they've never seen this before. I'm going to get them in on the secret here, and then we're going to feed these people. Go put them into groups, right? Go take them the bread. Go coordinate this stuff. He's he's working with his disciples. Now he's just like, are you serious? And then he multiplies the bread, and he gives it to the disciples. They give it to everybody else. Jesus performs another miracle. What Jesus is saying is, look, My people are hungry. Do you think that there's a desolate place that can keep me from them? Do you think there's a desolate place, a place where there is no food, where the only nourishment that they're getting right now is from me? Do you think there's something like that that can keep me from them? Do you think there's a hardship that can get between me and those who are hungry for me? These people have a heart that's hungry, and so I'm not just going to feed them with the word. I'm going to feed them with things that they need. See, you and I, we have seasons of our life, and we're all sharing a season right now, a season that's full of hardship. Some of you are wondering, you you have fear because maybe there's this virus out there that could get in your system, and it could do damage. Or there's a fear that, you know what, this year for Thanksgiving, my family can't come together, and so maybe there's a bit of depression that's sinking in. Maybe you've been isolated for so long that you're getting this depression now, and you're thinking, man, is this ever going to get better? Or maybe you're a business owner and you're looking around and you're saying, you know what? I don't know what next quarter is going to hold. I might have to lay a few people off. Whatever it is, whatever your desolate place is, what you need to realize is that there is a God who's come and stepped in. And when you have a God that's in your desolate place and you don't know where the next meal is going to come from and you don't know what the next step is going to be, you have a God who's a provider. And what God is asking us in this moment to do is to say, look, I've broke the bread once, I've broke the bread twice, I can break the bread again. Because here's the reality, when we do that, when we step up and we have hope when people around us don't have hope, when we step up and we're thankful even though we look around and we could maybe make the case there's not a lot to be thankful for in this season, when we do counter to what culture is doing, when we step up and we have the kingdom of God inside of us, you know what starts to happen? People start to notice. People begin looking at you, and and they see the way you're living, and they see the way that you're acting, and they see the way that you're speaking, and it's going to cause them to stop, shut the door, and all the business of life is going to go to the background. It's going to pull something out of them that says there's something about their provision that's different than mine. There's a trust that's there that's leading them through this season that I don't have, and it's going to pull out of them this desire and a hunger that asks the question, why? And what you and I need to do in this season is to grapple with the reality of our provider and put our trust more and more in him because the more we put our trust in Christ, the more that we say, no matter what fears I have, no matter what desolate place I'm in right now, no matter where I'm at, I'm going to hold. Jesus is going to be my anchor. He's going to be my provider. I know he broke the bread in the past, and I know he's going to break it again today. When we start doing those type of things, when we start living that way, that list I read to you earlier of how Jesus healed, of how Jesus cured, of how Jesus uh, forgave the sinners, how he confronted, all those things Jesus did, those begin to manifest in our life. See, what Jesus wanted for those people is he wanted their reality to be rooted in relationship. Write that down. Jesus wanted those people to understand that when they walked Their reality, their kids, their family, their neighborhood, their community. When they looked out and they saw those things, he knew the only way that the kingdom of God would come is if their reality, every single one of their realities, was rooted in a relationship with God, a relationship where they trusted him with absolutely everything. Think of a small child when they get scared. What do they do? The first thing they do, they don't just get under a blanket and hide. They run to mom and dad. And I don't know about you, but my little girl, when she gets scared, she freaks out, right? And if she gets really scared, she starts screaming. And when she comes to me, she, she grabs my leg. I pick her up, and she screams and screams, and it's right in my ear, and I feel like my drums are going to explode, right? And it's crazy and chaotic. But what I've noticed with my little girl, even if I don't say anything, the more I hold her, the more over time she calms down. The more over time, those screams get less and less and less. The, the slower that heartbeat gets that was going 100 miles an hour, all of a sudden it drops down to 95. All of a sudden it drops down to 90. And I, don't, I don't know what the healthy heartbeat is, so whatever it ends up being, right? But over time, the longer they're holding on to somebody they trust, the more the fear subsides in their life. Why? Because their reality is rooted in a relationship where they have a deep trust with somebody who, when they feel like they're out of control and they feel like there's nothing that they can grab hold of to make things better, they always know they can grab hold of that. They know they can grab hold of mom and dad. And those those pants, those frantic breaths all of a sudden slow down to where now they can take deep breaths again, one after the other, and then God willing, please, Lord, they fall asleep, right? Right? But I think we see in our kids the reality that I think we face in this season, that we might face in the next season. Those moments when we feel like we're out of control and there's nothing that we can do to fix it, there's nothing that we can do to corral it, And so our heartbeat gets more and our anxiety gets more and we think, man, there's got to be a different way. There's got to be something else. And I think what Jesus is doing in these stories, he's saying, come, put your belief and your trust in me. And when you do that, it's not going to be an instant fix. It's not going to get better overnight, but it's a process. It's something that when you cling to me, over time the fears will get less and less. When you hunger for my word and you sit at my feet day after day after day, you begin to realize that trusting in Jesus is more than just a big, big picture thing, but it's something that affects every part of our life. Every part of your life, you're, you're constantly in a battle of, do I trust Jesus or not? And in these moments, are you feasting on his word? Are you letting him feed you? Or are you stuck in a desolate place and you fear, if I go anywhere, I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna faint, I'm gonna die, I'm not gonna make it to tomorrow. Jesus is a provider. But when you give yourself to Jesus, right, things happen, things happen. Your response will always be rooted in your relationship with him, whether it's good or or it's bad. It'll be a response that's rooted in your relationship. The crowd responds well. They trust Jesus. But there's another group, the Pharisees that are there with him. Mark chapter 8, 11 through 13. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. He got into the boat again and went to the other side. The religious leaders, the, one who, the ones who are in charge of giving the spiritual nourishment to the people, Jesus is doing their job. In fact, they've been following Jesus for three days because they're hungry. The Pharisees are jealous. They come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, give us a sign. Prove to us who you say you are. If you're really the Messiah, give us a sign right now. And Jesus says he sighs, right? He sighs deeply. He sighed deeply. Steve Harvey's poking his head out again with the dumbfounded look on his face like, are you serious? He sighs deeply. Why? He just fed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And now the Pharisees come to him saying, we need a sign. And Jesus says, no sign for you. No sign for you. You want the sign, not the sign giver. You want the bread, not the bread giver. Jesus just fed 4,000 people, and they want a sign. I think if Jesus could have screamed something in that moment, it would be, quit seeking the sign, seek me. Jesus wants them to get something. The crowd got it, but the Pharisees missed it. The Pharisees wanted something that they could look to that was tangible and real. And when they got it, check this out, when they got it, they rejected it. They see an incredible miracle and they reject it. This harkens back to another story that happened some 15 years before, right? Their ancestors were wandering in the wilderness. God brings them to a land that was finally going to be their own. They had been strangers in a foreign place. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, right? Millions of people were enslaved. God gives them an incredible opportunity. He frees them from their captivity. He literally breaks the chains off of them. He brings them to a new land. He's done miracle after miracle after miracle, showing them that you can trust me, showing them that they can believe in God, and they come to a land, they see a few giants, and they say, nope, can't do it, let's go back. And God, I'm sure, sighs deeply and says, fine. So he sends them to the wilderness for 40 years. But what's incredible about God is that he's so patient with the people. He sends them into the wilderness. They're literally It's like they're just walking in circles for years, 40 years. They can't enter the promises of God. They can't enter into that rest their soul longed for for 40 years. And what God does along the way is he provides for them bread. Have you guys ever seen the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? Right, you look at that movie and you're like that could never happen today. Well, guess what? God made it happen. God was cloudy with a chance of meatballs. He made bread drop from the heavens, right? It's a real thing, okay? And he provided for the people day after day after day, yet an entire generation said, "You know what? Our God doesn't really love us." Our God can't protect us from our enemies. Our God can't do the things that we've hurt our ancestors, the things that we saw back in Egypt. God can't do those things for me. We're in a desolate place right now, and I don't know how God's going get to get us out as they take a bite of their miraculous manna. I don't know how God's going to do it. They were blind. They didn't understand. They didn't see. In fact, right after this story, Jesus is going to heal a blind man That's not a coincidence because when you you have your eyes opened, you realize that your reality was not rooted in a relationship with God. It was rooted in a relationship with yourself. You had the control, and you had everything figured out, and if you didn't, that's on you. And so you grab for that control over and over again when all Jesus is asking you to do is to lay those things down before him. And he's saying to us this morning, follow me. Will you lay those things down? And in the middle of your desolate place, will you come and will you follow me? Their response was not rooted in relationships. The Pharisees was not rooted in relationship where they trusted God. What kind of person will you be? Where will you dig your relationships? Where will you dig your roots in? What relationships are you digging your roots in? Because that's the proof of what you trust. When you have fear, when you don't know what to do, when you feel like you're out of control, the things that you cling to show what you're rooted in. If your first move isn't to Christ, then what you've done is you've created something that you're worshiping and you're giving your affections to that's not him. And Jesus is calling you this morning to say, give those things up. Lay those things down. Quit putting your trust in things that are going to die and things that are going to fade. Put your trust in me. If you're just trusting the bread that's given to you, you're going to miss the one who gave it to you. And that's what Jesus doesn't want. What Jesus wants is he wants to create in us the heart that's transformed. Mark chapter 8, 14 through 19 now, they had forgotten to bring bread. The disciples were in a boat. They had only one left in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you do not see and having ears, do you not hear and do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. What Jesus is doing is he's confronting that Pharisee mentality, that Pharisee mentality that puts God in a box. They're sitting in a boat now. We don't know how far along this is. This could be two weeks later. This could be the next day. They could, and they're holding a loaf of bread to feed 13 people. And like many of us, they're wondering, what's going to happen next? One loaf can barely feed four people. How are we going to do it with 13? And Jesus, before they even speak, he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware what they do and what they think. And then they start talking about how they don't have bread. And Jesus says, do you not get it? Steve Harvey. It's like he's on the boat with them and He pokes his head out again with this dumbfounded look on his face like, you got to be kidding me. And he looks at his disciples and he's like, do you not get it? In fact, the last thing he says in this paragraph is, do you not understand? Do you not get it? They could have literally been holding a miraculous loaf of bread that wasn't there before. They could have been holding one of the leftovers Jesus had just multiplied for 4,000 people. Jesus looks at his disciples, and he's trying to get them to see something different. See, it's one thing when you come to church, and you hear a pastor preach, and you realize, man, this is good stuff. And you see, hear of people's testimonies about how, about how their life has been transformed, and how God has provided for them, and he's given them the bread. It's one thing to see that and experience that. But it's another thing when, when you're on, in, in a boat with your buddies and you're there with 10, 11, 12 of your friends, and you realize you don't have any food. It's one thing when real life happens. 5,000 people, that's abnormal. But when you're with your buddies... That's real life right then and there. Jesus is trying to change the way they think and say it's not just about what you experienced this one time way back when. It's not just about this experience you had last week when you came to church and everything was great. I don't want you just to see me as provider when you are around everybody else. I want you to understand that I provide even in the here and now. I provide when you're alone in your room. I provide when you're alone with your family. I provide when you're out in your neighborhood. I provide when you are at work. It's not just a one or two or three time thing. It's a provision that happens once and carries on into eternity. And Jesus is desperately trying to get his apostles to see this because if they don't, they will turn into the very thing that he loathes. It'll turn into a heart of unbelief where all they want is a sign, even though he's been performing these signs over and over and over again. He wants them to have hearts that are hungry for him. This is their wisdom moment. This is the moment when the teacher imparts to his disciples. This is the moment where growth happens. This is the moment where the disciples realize, I just gave a really bad answer. I actually asked a dumb question. Question. And this is where things begin to change. In fact, what we're going to see in a little bit is Peter is going to confess Jesus as the Christ. It's like his eyes opened a little bit, and he saw for a moment who Jesus was. Jesus wants them to have a reality with God that's rooted in relationship. C.F. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else they are in the middle of their transformation process but when we have a heart that's hungry and we have a heart that's being transformed by the gospel and the life of jesus it shifts to a heart that's thankful mark 8 34 through 38 and calling the crowd to him with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When one realizes what Christ has done for us, when they have that God-ordained revelation... They can't help but be thankful. So here's what I mean. The disciples are thankful for the bread, but they aren't yet thankful for the bread giver. They're thankful for the bread, but they're not yet thankful for the bread giver. See, Jesus, I think Jesus knew something. He knew that people would perish without the food that he brought. I think that story is a microcosm of something much bigger. Jesus brings the people to a desolate place. They're there with him. They can't provide the food that they need. And Jesus stretches out his arms and says, Come to me, I'm going to give you some food. What I love about the story of Jesus is it's, it's like the picture of arms that are always open. And the words that come out of his mouth are, Come to me. Let the little children come unto me. In the Gospel of Matthew, he says... Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. When chaos is around you, I'm going to give you rest. The conversation is always, come to me. Don't send the people away. Let them come to me, and I will give. Come to me, and I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm a generous, I'm a loving person, and I'm going to give everything that I have for you. He stretches out his arms over and over again. But the one that he wants us to to really lean in on this morning, the one that he wants his apostles to lean in in those transformative moments is the time that he would spread his arms on a cross and he would be there naked and ashamed for the whole world to see. And he invites us just like he did to them. He says, come to the cross. Pick it up and follow me. Come to me, pick up your cross and I'm gonna give you new life. When chaos hits, I'm going to give you a new hope. When dysfunction hits and you don't know what to do and you lose control, I'm going to give you a new hope. Here's the reality of the cross. Ready? The reality of the cross is this. In one point in history, God gave you and me and all of humanity complete control. He gave us complete control over himself. He came to this earth, right? We beat him. We persecuted him. He gave us complete control for one moment, and what do we do? We killed him. We put him on a cross, we stretched out his arms, and we said, death to God. But what we didn't realize is in that moment, we just didn't see arms that were stretched out to die on a cross to, a, to the hands of a bunch of wicked people. Instead, what he did is he stretched out his hands and it was as if he was saying, come to me in this moment. Come to the place of death. Come to the place where I gave up control for you. And when you come to that place, you're going to realize something so deep and so profound. It's going to open your eyes. You're not going to be able to live the same. It's going to pull something out of you that wasn't there before. It's going to do something to your heart that causes you to respond in ways you haven't responded before. Because you're going to see God in a different light. You're going to realize that Jesus doesn't want to just give you bread. He wants to give you himself He doesn't want you to just have a reality that's rooted in a few relationships where you're desperately trying to gain something that you can never gain. He wants you to realize that the only way you can truly be free is if you dig your roots into the man who who died on a cross, who stretched out his arms for you, and he died there with your sin and my sin, but he rose three days later. And that, that phrase, come to me, is still there. And he's saying, pick up your cross and guess what? It's going to save your soul. Hell is not your final destination. But it's relationship that's rooted in somebody that you can trust, somebody that will never leave you or forsake you, someone who will be with you in the midst of your chaos, someone who will be with you in the midst of your sin or your dysfunction, someone that's going to be with you when you go to work, someone that's going to be with you when you hang out with your family, someone who's going to be with you where you're alone, stuck with your own mind. That's a reality Jesus is saying you can never get away from. I like you guys. Whoever's sitting over here, I like you. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. Love the bread, but love the one more who gives it to you. So this morning, will you stop? Will you shut the door? Will you let the busyness of life go to the side? And will you take a deep breath? And will you let the gospel that Jesus showed to us, that Jesus lived out that good news that you and I have, Will you let it pull something out of you this morning? Will you let it, will you follow it? Will you follow where Jesus leads? Will you let that that desire and that hunger that's created from the good news of Jesus Christ, will you let that transform the way that you live? If you don't know Christ this morning, please come talk to me. I'll be standing out here. We'll have some other pastors that are walking around. You can go to Starting Point, but will you come talk to me? Don't leave this place without understanding and committing to following a a Christ who's given us everything to be thankful for. Amen, church? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you for these stories that show we can get it wrong. Lord, we don't have to be perfect. We make mistakes. There are things that we don't understand, but thank you that you are patient and you are kind. Lord, that even even if there's a dumbfounded look God, we know that you are still fighting for us, that you want us to have a relationship that's rooted in the reality of you. Lord, creating us a hunger. Lord, continue to transform us. And would we cling to you like a little kid clings to their parents, Father? Would Would we cling to you so that our anxieties, our chaos, our dysfunction, our sin, the things that make the heart beat quickly, Lord, that process would begin to take place in our life so things can slow down. We can have clarity of mind. We can feast on your words. So Jesus, impart to us that revelation. Captivate our heart with your gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray this message connected with you, and we hope it gave you another way to connect with Jesus and your New Life family. For more ways to get plugged in here at New Life, you can visit our website at www.newlifeaberdeen.org. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.